Hello, my friends. Mandy here with a quick invitation for you to join the Patreon for our show. We've recently switched up some of the benefits, including a new monthly workbook to go along with all the incredible content you're getting on the show. It's a quote yourself through grief kind of a vibe. And for only $10 a month, it is a wholly worthy and affordable way to invest in your own healing process without the commitment of a full coaching relationship. Learn more at patreon.com slash Mandy Capehart. And of course, the link is in the show notes. Thank you as always for being here. Now let's get into the good stuff. Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 109, titled In Pursuit of the Creative with Nick Goodner. My guest this week wants you to flourish. Nick Goodner is an online entrepreneur and content creator, helping other internet creatives to develop their unique voice, align with their values, and know their worth. His pursuit as a creative is inspired by the life of his father, who passed away at the age of 24 when Nick was only five years old. And when Nick reached age 24, something in his own grief experience shifted, widening his perspective and forever changing the way he moves through creativity, business, and life. Welcome back to Restorative Grief. I'm Mandy, and I'm here today with my new friend, content creator, Nick Goodner. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hey, Mandy. I'm so glad to be here. Excited to do this podcast with you. I know. I'm really excited. Our mutual friend, Ross, introduced us, and he has such a great radar for people that are just right up the alleyway of grief and creativity and all of the fun things that we love to talk about here on the show. And so why don't you just take a moment and introduce yourself for the people who aren't familiar? Ross is first off, Ross is phenomenal. And he probably was like, you know, who's caused me the most grief? And he said, Nick, someone sent him your way. I believe it. Uh, So I, I, I'm, I'm in between jobs, uh, kind of, uh, I started a company a few years ago called creative church. And it's a, it's a job board for creatives within the church space. And I recently started handing that off to other people to kind of explore what it would look like to go full-time helping creatives as a content creator. And uh, my main focus with that is I I see such a disparity between what creatives want to earn, what I think that they're worth, their value, Mm -hmm. and um, how much they're making. So my focus has really been to figure out how to get creatives paid and how to how to help them not only communicate their value through marketing, but do it in a way where it's not, you know, unfeathered growth all the time where it's like, Oh, I got to make $50,000 a month in order to be successful. No, like what does sustainability look like? Uh, what does it look like to take care of yourself through the entrepreneurship journey? Uh, what does it look like to take care of yourself as a creative? And also what does it like look like to make those boundaries where you're getting paid? What, what you're worth, what your creativity is worth. Yeah, that's, impressive because as a content creator, but also a small business owner, those are the questions I ask myself all the time. Right. And especially love how you talked about how do you create, uh, communicate your values and make sure that's what's coming across in marketing, because it's very easy in our social media world to fall prey to all of the trends and the real sounds and the funny little things and actually completely miss the mark of finding and supporting the people we launched the business in the first place. So good job. I love that. That's where you've gone with your focus. Um, 
I suspect you didn't wake up one day um, as a little, you know, six-year-old and say like, this is what I want to do when I grow up. I want to be a social media person because social media wasn't even a thing when we were kids. So talk to me about what drove you away from your initial business or even into the world of deciding I want to be an entrepreneur and toward the area that you're in now. So I, I think I've always known I didn't want to have like a traditional job. Um, even as like a kid, entrepreneurship just kind of came to me. Uh, my grandparents, they clean condos and I went down and cleaned condos with them one summer. And that was like the transformative moment of realizing, Hey, I don't have to work for anybody. I can work for myself, build my own client base. And uh, that was like, when I was nine or 10 years old. So mm -hmm. it was very early on. I realized that I wanted to kind of chase entrepreneurship. Um, and then I got back, I remember I got back in school that next year, that following year, and I sold little candy, little suckers, lollipops, and uh, yeah. was making a killing, uh, doing very well. Um, and uh, this, again, sidetrack, but this sidebar, but uh, the, the teachers got wind of this, the, this little business that I'd created, and I was probably making 50, 100 bucks a week doing this Whoa. as a 12-year-old kid. Nice. And... Um, I even had like little stamp cards. Like if you go out, bought 10 of them, you get a free one. <laughs> so I, 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 again, yeah. very early on, I knew like, this is, this is what I want to chase. And, um, teachers got wind of it and they called us into like a big conference and they were like all of our class, like, Hey, um, we're not going to let you sell things at school anymore. It's against the rules. And I had looked at the handbook because I'm a, I'm a rule follower. I'm a stickler <laughs> for the rules. And uh, I looked at the handbook. There was nothing in it about selling things at, in school. Yeah. And they're like, we're not going to let you sell things at school anymore. And then they pointed me out specifically. And they're like, Nick, this means you. And, and this is in front of like 200 of my fellow students. So I was like really embarrassed. Then the next week, um, they opened up their own candy business. And, um, that was whenever I learned not to trust people. So, Oh God. <laughs> oh no. I just always knew like that was going to be part of my journey. Um, it, it came to head when my parents were like, Hey, we want you to go to college and like your college is paid for by my dad who had passed away. And I was like, no, I'm not going to go. I want to chase this whole entrepreneurship thing. Mm. And I did. And that's whenever I started my first, first business was, uh, like content creation, uh, blogging for different companies. And then I moved into um, creative church after I got fired from a church that I was working, or not fired from a church, the church closed. And um, I started creative church because I didn't want people to feel the way I felt whenever my community had just been taken away, just completely yeah. eradicated overnight. Um, because I don't know if anybody's ever dealt with a church closer, uh, closure. You go from people who are your best friends in the whole wide world to no one wants to talk to you anymore because we just all went through this very embarrassing thing. Right. And so you just lose that infrastructure of community very quickly. And people who have probably left the church know this too. It's like, once you're outside of the church that you went to, I, the, that community no longer exists. And so creative church was kind of birthed out of that experience where it's like, there has to be something for people to connect um, you know, outside, you know, they're in the church context because they work for a church, but they're outside of it. 
um, too. So that kind of stabilize if they ever have to leave a job or whatever. And then that kind of that morphed into a job board and all that other good stuff. And that was eight years of my life. And now I'm now I'm transitioning into what I'm doing now. So yeah. fun stuff, fun times. Serial entrepreneur from age nine. My daughters, <laughs> I, ironically, also started a small business at school. Same thing, told you cannot sell things at school. You threw in a couple of really casual comments there about why we might have you as a guest here on the show. And so I'm going to try and peel those back a little bit gently. Let's start with what you just said about the community loss and closure. There are mm -hmm. so many conversations we've talked about on the show about community loss, about church loss, um, faith changes, all of those things. What struck me about what you said, um, was that no one in this community wants to really speak to one another because we're all suffering from, or like recovering from going through this really embarrassing thing. Mm -hmm. What about community loss read as embarrassing for you? What was that, what was that expression like? And I think whenever I think about it, I look at it as like, we were all small churches. Uh, I'm sure people know this small churches. Um, there's this startup mindset that we're going to be the next insert mega church here. Sure. And we're all making this vision happen that we're going to change the world, you know, no matter how big the church is and, and no matter what the reality is, like we just all have faith that it's going to work. And to have to say, we're going to close it down. We're going to shut it down. Mm. And it's not like we, we, we failed, right? Like we all, we didn't, we didn't live up to the potential that we all thought we had. That's, I think that's the embarrassing part for everybody. And I don't know that, I don't know if I felt the embarrassment, but I think it was just the other people on the team that felt, I, I'm, I'm, I'm projecting, maybe I'm just projecting that onto them, but it was, there was just this elephant in the room that none of us could get over where it was like, you know, we, we're not going to talk to each other. Like it was just unspoken. Mm -hmm. This is over. And, you know, we're all moving on and we're all going to do our own thing. And for, for my wife and I, whenever that happened, we had just moved to the town eight months prior. Mm -hmm. So we didn't know anybody. Yeah. And so that's where it kind of amplified that situation where it was like, oh, so mm -hmm. everybody we knew like was in the church context. Like we don't have any yeah. friends. We don't have anybody that we actually really know, know. And, um, luckily we weren't too far away from where we had lived when we went to college. And so we were able to go back and like meet up with our friends there, but being, you know, that was once a weekend that we got to do that, doing that day to day where just no community, that's where we had to, that's where I started to figure out what it is that we could do to actually bring people together, bring creatives together. Yeah. Yeah, there's a very strong narrative of connection and success coming through everything you're saying. And mm -hmm. you mentioned it earlier too, when you were talking about the assembly at school and how they publicly shamed you <laughs> for your brilliance and for your creativity and for your insight. And it, I, you know, I, I said that, and it's, it's funny that I'm saying it here. I didn't realize that until about two weeks ago, I was re retelling that story to my wife. And then I stopped and I was like, and then they just embarrassed me. And I was like, what is, what was that about? And it was kind of funny. Cause it's like this realization, you know, that happened 20 years ago. And I'm just now having the realization like, oh my God, 
Man. They embarrassed me. That was embarrassing. Why would they do that? Like they yeah. should have known better. So I, 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 you catching it two years or 20 years later is beautiful because that's you recognizing you have something now that younger self yeah. needed. Now is the moment that you can say, okay, younger self, I see you. Right. I exactly. recognize it. It's okay. Create some safety, um, which is beautiful because I'm thinking about this new creative content, creative business endeavor and yeah. the direction you're going. And there's a lot of authority that you carry into this arena, especially into what is really a crowded demographic of content creators and people trying to say, no, dear content creator, I have the steps you need. No, I have the steps you need and not positioning yourself as a guru, but really recognizing that you're pulling from creatives, what their secret sauce is, so to speak, and helping them yeah. flesh that out in a way that is honoring to their values and honoring to what their goal is ultimately. So, um, that, that obviously didn't come from necessarily the teachers and the way that they've taught you, or, um, even maybe the leadership in your churches and the way that they've led and kept businesses going. So what is it? It's obviously something innately in you, but where did that come from? Where, who's the person or the people that really helped inspire you to become this person? That's a good question. Um, part of it, I think came from that, any, I uh, like that sense to rebel, uh, to challenge the status quo. Um, and I think that, you know, you say it didn't come from the teachers, but in a way it kind of did. Sure, yeah. Because they gave me a little bit of a lesson in who I can trust, who I can't trust, right? Like who actually has my best intention for safety. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And mm -hmm. I think that's also like what the, you know, the core development of where my Enneagram eightness comes from, right? Where it's like, I'm the challenger, I'm the rebel. Um, because I've seen so many times where I put faith in people that you were supposed to put faith into. And they didn't show up. And it's not that they fell short. It's that they, you know, like the teachers, they embarrassed me, like they failed tremendously short. Like, it's not just like, oh, they just didn't live up to my expectations. It's like, no, well, you actually like did it out of malice in some, some instances. I'm thinking through my, my entire life now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think in a lot of ways, that's, that's where it came from. Like, it's just that kind of having the rug pulled out from under you several times from people who you were, you know, the world told you like, it's okay. You can trust your, this pastor, you can trust this, you know, teacher, you can trust this authority figure because they got, they got your best interest. And it's like, well, but they didn't. Hmm. And so they kind of became my lessons for, you know, what do I want this world to look like? What, 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 what can I do for people? And I think, you know, saying, going back and like taking care of your younger self, I think about that a lot. Um, how can I take care of who, who can I be that I needed when I was younger is where I kind of come into a lot with that. Yeah. I think that's a really powerful stance, especially as a fellow Enneagram eight, um, that, that tendency to guard that mm -hmm. younger self instead of allowing that younger self to really be honest and yeah. be vulnerable and say what needs to be said, but also express without trying to fix and repair what needs to be 
um, expressed is really important. And so that's, I want to go back to um, the other little piece that you threw in there and talking about losing your dad when you were really little, um, because I know you mentioned to me off air a little bit about the way that his life inspired you to pursue this path as well. So I just love to hear a little bit of that. Yes. So I always tell people that probably one of my greater inspirations is my father's death. Um, and I think it's because it happened. I have one of those funny memories where you can remember everything like as in your childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, so like I, the earliest memories I have are like, just turning one years old, wow. which I found is I found out recently is not very common. Yeah. Um, most people like have like a wake up sense where it's like four or five years old where they start to actually remember stuff. Mm -hmm. But I have like vivid memories of my dad being around and such. And I think it's because of that early childhood trauma. We don't have to get into that. Um, that's for another podcast. Uh, but he, he kind of became my biggest inspiration because he died when he was 24. Uh, it happened very quickly. He had esophagus cancer that uh, the doctors ignored. They didn't. They didn't actually go in and actually find out what was wrong with him. They they just kind of burst it off like, "Oh, you have heartburn," and that's not a big deal. Meanwhile, the guy's coughing up blood and can't eat. And so he happened. It happens like almost instantaneous. He goes into the hospital in January and he never comes back out. And he dies February twenty third. And so. I was there in the room whenever it happened. Like I can remember saying goodbye and just having that moment of loss. And from that point on, there was the expectation to be like the man of the house, you know, um, you know, grow up, grow up so quickly. Uh, because I had two other sisters. And so I kind of took on this responsibility to maybe be more adult than I should have as a kid. And in doing that, I realized very early on that I'm kind of living out a little bit of my father's legacy. Like he didn't get to accomplish a lot in life. As I've, as I've gotten older, I've realized 24 years old is very young. I didn't really grieve my father's death until about five years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever I turned, well, it's been six years ago now, whenever I turned 24, and I realized that like, I'm now the same age that my was when my dad passed yep. away. Yep. And that realization hit me like a ton of bricks. And that was the first time, like, I didn't cry when my father passed away when I was a kid. I grew up and my mom remarried very quickly. And the man who is my dad now, I mean, I've always called him dad. Like he's, he stepped in and that was a beautiful transition. Um, so there wasn't a processing for that at all. And so six years ago, I realized, hey, I am now 24 years old. My dad died when I was 24. Like, holy, sh yeah. holy shit. Like, I don't, I, 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 I have to start processing this. And it just hit me. And so for the past six years, I've mm. processed that. So like, whenever I trail off and I'm like, I don't know what to say, it's because in a way I'm still experiencing it does that make sense yeah oh yeah so like i i go back to five years old and it's like i don't know how to say these words because i don't know what to say about it i didn't want to interrupt when you were saying i'm not mm -hmm. sure what to say it is because that was a moment those are yeah. 
opportunities for our nervous system and our memories to really come back together because they're trying to integrate. It is so common when we reach the age of, for parent loss. So I lost my mom almost nine years ago now. And she was, thanks. Um, She was in her fifties. So I've got quite some time to go before I hit that age, but it is so common for people when they do hit the Mm -hmm. age of the parents that they lost, that there is a reckoning. There is a release of things we had no idea we were carrying things. We had no acknowledgement of that we were hiding from. And what comes to the surface is often indescribable because we've never been given the words or the power to describe it. And so Mm -hmm. for you to express like, well, I think I went back to being five again. It was exactly it. Yeah. Especially if your family was dealing with three little kids and a widow, right? Mom is Mm -hmm. trying to create as much normalcy and stability in a completely unstable and abnormal situation. And it was not maybe inappropriate that you were the man of the house. It was entirely inappropriate, but it's also Mm -hmm. out of her control, right? That's not something she can parent out of someone who has that level of strength within them and that level of like fortitude and insight, even at that young age to say, oh, I now have to step up or I want to make sure everyone is okay. Right. So all of that to say, it makes perfect sense that you're finding yourself now still. And I don't even love the word still, because of course you're, you're grieving, of course, that's carrying on. Um, but being able to make space for yourself to pause and really reflect on what those moments can look like for you as opposed to feeling really trapped by them or really avoidant of them, I think is an incredibly difficult um, thing. So the ability to really feel connected to your dad through your business sounds monumental. I don't know if I'd put it that I feel connected to him through the business as much as I feel like I'm carrying on what, what might've been there's so much potential at 24 and there's not a lot of solidifying what that's going to be yet. Um, especially because he had just graduated college and I think a year or two before he passed away. Hmm. So, and he was raising three kids and you know, that's a lot of pressure. Um, so maybe in a way, I feel connected because I don't know, I am getting to kind of live out a life that he could have had, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Uh, Cause I'll say this, I see the tendencies in the personality that kind of align with what I remember, what people talk about, mm. but then like, there's other parts of me that like, I know he was not a, a sharp like business mind. Like I know that, like I kind of sense that from him. And so like those tendencies, those come from somewhere else. Um, But the connection point really happens whenever I think about, you know, my mark on the world and the mark that he didn't get to leave. And so I'm kind of continuing his story, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it's a really common response to losing a parent as well as Mm -hmm. feeling um, a type of draw to continue, like you said, honoring the legacy and creating connection back to that person and that, that memory, I think it's a really healthy way as long as it's done with intention, you know what I mean? To integrate that person and to integrate into the work that you do now and the person you become, um, because so many of us like 
fatally just become or give our lives over to something so fully that we lose sight of ourselves. And I think you have a really settled sense of yes. self. Yes, that's, that's what I'll say is that's where it's kind of like when you say connection, I'm thinking like, um, I don't want to portray that I'm like trying to live his life totally because he had a completely different life with a completely different ambitions. That's what I'm right. trying to get to. And so like the way I'm continuing it out is really honoring who he was and bringing those tendencies is kind of a reminder that, you know, life is short. Um, mm -hmm. Live your dreams, right? Like chase, chase after what you want in this life, but not in a way where I'm trying to like replicate what he was doing because I don't think I'm, I don't think that he and I, if he would have been alive today, I don't think he and I would have saw I die with what I do. Um, <laughs> Cause he was very, he was, he was very much, um, he liked school. He liked education and he liked, you know, going to college and he wanted to be an educator more than anything. And like, I have just a distaste for that. And I'm like, I don't, I, I am an educator in some ways, but like, I don't have a taste for the traditional college and traditional like education experience. So I don't think that he and I would have saw eye to eye in that regard yeah. if he would have been around. But so there's, so I, I don't feel that connection is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I don't feel like I'm like living through his life. I feel like I'm just kind of continuing on like remembering him as I live my own life intentionally bringing awareness to your story and your state and your process, but not uh, allowing it to really set the tone, the full narrative of everything that you build, because it can be really activating. I think there are a lot of, well, I know a lot of people who started businesses in honor of their loved ones or who have um, even decided that without losing this loved one, I never would have become this person that I am or done this mm -hmm. thing that I'm doing. And while you can point to pieces of that, that may be true. It, it really dishonors the person that you are and the yeah. process that you're in. Um, not to mention makes it sound very much like that person had to die for you to fulfill your own life, which that's yeah. a whole nother, um, Speaking of a whole nother episode about trauma, that's one. Um, yeah. So how, how now is it with your mom and your stepdad and the way you've created this life and this beautiful business structure, um, but not gone to college necessarily and not followed this traditional path. Uh, I turned out to be very successful in what I do. And mm -hmm. so uh, kind of in a lot of ways I was right. So, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that college is evil and people shouldn't do it. Uh, you know, if you want to go to college, go, go buy, go with God. Um, but it just wasn't right for me. Yeah. And so I kind of, I, in a, in a sense, I kind of won that one. Um, but it, you know, we've always had, I would say that my, with my family, we've had a healthy relationship. Um, like I said, my stepdad, you know, he stepped in and raised three kids and he, he was always dad. And that's, that's the, that was the thing that really meant a lot. And so in, in a lot of ways, the relationship has always been pretty healthy. I've been able to talk about some of this stuff with them. And also it does help a little bit because my mom lost her dad whenever she was 17 years old. And mm -hmm. so she kind of understands the experience a little bit. Um, and that, 
so that relationship has always been pretty pretty healthy in that regard and being able to speak openly about it and being able to you know i think there in the beginning after after the initial loss it was a little bit more difficult but here now that i've whenever i started going through my grieving process i found it was quite easy to talk to them about it yeah and you know there was times growing up i didn't know whether i could or not and mm -hmm. so I, I just opted on the side of i'm not going to mm -hmm. and i think that was more me personally being nervous about like how they would react because like you know you somebody steps up like my stepdad did and takes care of you your entire life and has essentially raised you since you were five years old like there's always in the back of my mind like am i going to be disrespectful talking about you know mm. missing my father my, my biological father and i think that probably also delayed the grieving process for me a lot because i just didn't tap into those feelings at all i never really never was brave enough to ask and I think I actually probably had opportunities to, I just would mask them behind my witty humor um, and, uh, and kind of hide behind it. But once that floodgate broke and I was like, oh shit, I miss them, you know? And that happened when I was 24, I was, I'd already moved out of the house. I'd been long, you know, hadn't lived with them for a long time. Um, being able to go and talk to them it was it, that, that was part of the healing process because I didn't realize that I was allowed to until then. So I would say the overall, the relationship was healthy. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky in that regard. Um, yeah. Because I know how I, I know friends who have lost parents also at a younger age and there kind of becomes a, you know, we don't go there. Like we just kind of ignore it. Right. And I don't feel like that was the case with my parents, yeah. but I do feel like if any, if anything, I was the one who was ignoring it because I didn't know how to act. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. You weren't equipped. You were a child. Right. And to have a mom who also experienced losing a parent at a young age gave her, there's so much wisdom she embodied, whether she knew it or not, whether you saw mm -hmm. it or not that probably created that atmosphere so that when yeah. you were older, you could actually start to process. So I'm curious, yeah. what have the last six years looked like for you when it comes to doing grief work or processing? What does that mean to you? A lot of crying. Um, Good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man, I want to tell a story. If this comes off too weird for everybody, you can delete this out of the podcast. <laughs> Okay. Um, I was six years ago, I had a dream in which I talked to my father mm -hmm. and like, it was him as an older person. Like it felt real. Like it was, it was one of those things where it's like, did that happen? You know, like, did I speak to someone yeah. beyond the grave? Um, it, it was so it felt so real. And it was like, I was out for like 16 hours, like dead asleep for 16 hours. And we sat in this room and we just talked, we talked about everything. And I told him, you know, what I was doing. And that, 
dream, whether it's just subconscious memory, you know, going to work or, you know, something happening on some sort of spiritual realm that I don't not aware of, like that triggered for me, just the floodgate of like, Mm. oh, my God, like, I really actually miss him. And I have never processed this. Mm. Um, And like in that dream, he, he was like, you know, I just wanted you to know that I'm very proud of you and what you've done. And he told me to tell my sisters too. And the reason why I love this story uh, is because I got to tell both of my sisters this dream and to see their faces mm. because they didn't know him. Like they were too young. They didn't, they don't have the special memory. Um, they don't have the superpowers, uh, that I have. <laughs> and so like having that like full on, like real tangible experience for me, I was able to communicate that to them and I got to do it at really special times, um, in life. Like whenever my younger sister was getting married, I pulled her aside and I got to tell her and I made her cry on her wedding day. So that was good for me. Um, <laughs> by myself on the back, uh, probably not the best time, but I just, that was what really triggered everything coming to, I need to process what happened and what, and, and process this grief that I've experienced. And so again, if that's too weird, we can cut that out. Not at all. No, I, it's beautiful because what you find when you start talking to grievers that are willing to be honest Mm-hmm. is a recognition of that whole person. Part of us has denied that we have these holistic parts that need to be integrated, right? So everything I approach for grief is from a mind, heart, body, and spirit approach, right? I'm treating mm-hmm. with working with grievers in all of those arenas. And so often the spirit of the person, whatever that means to them has been a hundred percent shut down because it's terrifying because there's no real answers. And because grief is uncertainty. If you could shorten the definition of grief, you could just say uncertainty, right? Yeah. And so that type of an experience feels so concrete because your brain doesn't know the difference between imagined fear and real bear standing in front of you. Right. Right. Same is true with that type of a a dream or um, even an imaginative moment or a visualization, our body can experience real connection and real healing in the moment through that kind of an experience. And to say that sounds like you're saying very woo woo, very like, Hey, that's a little bit out there for me. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that's how our relationships continue. We don't just stop having a relationship to someone who has died. We actually can continue it in a way that brings health and connection back into that integrative state that we're looking for. So uh, no, I think you'll be surprised to um, maybe even hear from people who are like, oh my gosh, after this airs, I had that experience. I had something similar because that's a beautiful, whether your psyche made it up or not, right? Yeah. It's a beautiful way for your brain to experience, okay, this feels like a permission slip. This feels like mm-hmm. an invitation into something new, into a yeah. new way of approaching yourself and your story. Yeah, it it. it it did. It was one of the, I would say it's probably the pivotal moment of yeah. 
recognizing everything, just recognizing that there was grief there, that I'd carried it for a long time, and that I had not even attempted to process it. Yeah. I didn't, well, uh, maybe not attempted to process it. I just didn't know how to process it. Like you said earlier, equipped to process it. I just wasn't equipped to process it. Yeah. Well, Nick, what do you think you could boil down your heart for people in their grief work and even around the people who are doing like work creatively with their grief? So marrying your two parts of your story here, right? That you are a Mm -hmm. content creator and you're helping people really achieve their dreams as business owners, um, knowing full well that every one of us is carrying a big piece of grief with us, no matter where we go. Um, What what would you tell someone who's really struggling to narrow their message, clarify their values? What would you invite them into if they're feeling like, oh, I'd love to do that, but this is in my way. My grief story is in my way. My fear is in my way. Yeah. I think I would say let every feeling inform everything you do. And... um that's something that I've, because I grew up in church and in growing up in church, there's always this idea that we kind of silence feeling like we Mm -hmm. silence emotion because that's contrary to faith. And we don't want to really have emotion because if we do have emotion, then we're not in faith. So if we have sadness, then we're not in faith that, you know, we're happy. Or if we feel depressed, like we're not in faith that, you know, we have a great life, whatever, whatever, right. whatever that is. We we have this sense of like, you know, compress those feelings. And I think what I've learned is those feelings that we have, they, they almost inform the wholeness of ourselves, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that I'm shutting out this grief. It's that I'm going to accept that it's part of me and mm-hmm. that there's something here that will inform other parts of me. And I found that through writing a lot. Um, I was already a writer. Of course, I'm a content creator. But daily writing of just spilling everything out onto pages, that that became the way that my emotion informed everything that I do. And it also became a way like to evaluate my emotion. Like, why do I feel this way? And I don't think a lot of us you know, not listeners of this podcast, they already know this, but people who don't listen to the podcast, they don't always think, why am I feeling this way? Or they'll just tap into like the surface of like, this guy made me angry, right? Like that guy made me angry. And that's as far as they'll go, but they'll never ask like, why would I even get angry about that to begin with? And spilling that onto the page is where I started to come into terms of like, that guy made me angry because my teachers embarrassed me in front of all my friends one time, you know, like that's, that's kind of the connections that happen. You know, you, you begin to really process the emotion and the things that you feel in a way that's not just that surface level. Like we just think it's cause and effect. A, a lot of, well, again, not listeners of podcasts, they know better, but other people, they think it's cause and effect with emotion. Like, Oh, this thing happened, therefore I reacted this way. And that's the only thing that I have to think about whenever I'm thinking about this emotion that I had. When in reality, a lot of times the way that we're reacting to something goes a lot deeper. 
And I can't answer why, why, why that is only you can do that. And it comes through a process of being willing to say, Hey, why did I feel that way? What, what, what about that would piss me off? You know, what about that would, you know, make me upset? What, what about that would make me cry, right? We just assume that it's a sad story that's making you cry. But in a lot of ways, many times it's, it's deeper than that. So that's, 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 that's how I'd, that's how I'd say to approach it. Just let that inform you. Let those emotions inform you into the, like the deeper part of yourself. I love that. And ironically, the episode that comes out next week after this conversation is about, has a big piece of recognizing our emotion and identifying like something in me is feeling some kind of way. What yeah. do I want to do with it? Uh, so that'll be perfect. So people can keep listening and then beautiful segue. catch up to this incredible segue. segue. Unbelievable. I didn't even Ordained know that moment. Yeah. Couldn't have planned it better. Um, so Nick, you are a creative coach. You have a weekly newsletter. Tell me about it so mm -hmm. people can go sign up. So like I said, at the beginning of the podcast, uh, really seeing a disparity between like what creatives think they should make and what they're actually making. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I see this, the reason how I, the way I've come about this is not just like, you know, anecdotally, it's because I've surveyed thousands of creatives yeah. and through surveying those creatives for the past four years, I found this is like the big thing that they, that they feel like is they're dealing with is we think we should be paid a lot of money, but we're not getting paid a lot of money. We see our friends, they're making money. Right? Why aren't we making money? And so I've taken it upon myself. I've burdened myself um, to be this voice of, of begging you to really rethink how you do creativity and how you, you know, ask people for money and, and get paid what you're worth. And so I, I, a lot of my contents around that. And one of my big content pieces is my weekly newsletter in which I tackle different topics around creative business mindset and mindfulness, because that's the thing that a lot of, I know, I notice a lot of business coaches miss. We want to talk about the money, but we don't want to talk about how to stay healthy and in a healthy mindset. And so things like journaling, tapping into the emotion, what I mentioned just a few minutes ago, like we talk about that onto that, on that newsletter. So cool. if you're interested, it's just go to nickgunner.com. That's N-I-K-G-O-D-N-E-R.com. And it's the only thing on my website. So <laughs> you can't miss it unless you spell it wrong, but we'll put it in the show notes. So there's it. no excuses. Perfect. Right. Um, I love that you're like, this is, I have burdened myself. That's the Enneagram eight way, my friend. Burden this myself. That's what we do. We yes. take on the burden so that others take can have a lighter load. So you're mm -hmm. welcome, everybody. Nick, thank you. Thank you so much for making time to come be on this show. I realize a grief story and grief podcast is like, outside of the norm for you, but I am, I am endlessly grateful that you decided to like, okay, open up and try something new. So thank you for being here. Of course. And thank you so much for having me. It has been an incredible experience and I enjoyed getting to do this. It's not in the norm, but I really like doing it. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to episode 109 of Restorative Grief. I love how Nick brought the fullness of his own creativity down into a very simple invitation that anyone can accept. 
When we learn to notice and name our feelings and emotional experiences, we can allow them to inform our creativity instead of derailing it. If you are a creative person experiencing that type of derailing in your own process, or even a business owner who isn't just quite nailing the authenticity piece in marketing, be sure to sign up for Nick's newsletter for guidance and inspiration on how you too can flourish in your creative expressions. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, I am so grateful you made the time to tune in. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you appreciated this story, share it on social media, tag us, or send it to a creative friend, or just listen again and take some notes for yourself. For a link to Nick's website, as well as my own, and information about coaching with restorative grief, be sure to check out the show notes. And before we go, as always, please remember, the only solution to grief is to do the work of grieving. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.